today uh, we are getting into again our, our uh, series in the life of David. Uh, not sure how many of you are familiar with the film The Princess Bride. Uh, it's one of my favourite uh, films. It really bombed at the box office when it came out. But afterwards it did get a little bit of a, a, a what we might call a cult following. It's a fantasy, comedy, romance mixture. Uh, most of it actually filmed out in the Peak District, or a lot of it filmed in the Peak District, where uh, the hero, Wesley, who is a farmhand, has to save his, his bride, the Princess Buttercup, from the evil Prince Humperdinck. I'm not making the names up. These are the names in the film. Uh, with his companions. Uh, it's very quotable, and there's a lot of running jokes in it. One of the running jokes is that there is one of the baddies, He's called Vicini. And he thinks on many occasions that he has managed to trap or kill Wesley. And in all the occasions, Wesley, being the hero, manages to escape. And each of these occasions, when he escapes, Vicini uh, exclaims, inconceivable, uh, to sort of say, how did this person get out of it? This is inconceivable. Um, and that's one of the running jokes. Uh, check it out on YouTube afterwards if you want to. And I think this is how Saul must have felt about David, to be honest with you. When we read this passage today, every time he thinks he's got David cornered somewhere, David gets away, and Saul must be thinking to himself, inconceivable, how did that guy get out? Um, and we'll dig into some of that as we go through the, go through the story. Um, and and the, 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 this, this is part of the ongoing story we've been telling since chapter 16 of how David transforms from this uh, shepherd boy into the king of Israel. This training program uh, nearly killed him on several occasions. But when you think about that, that is a bit of a, a turnaround, even though it took many years to go from being a young man out keeping the sheep on the hillsides to being the king of God's people. Um, and today we're focusing on that part of David's life when he really and truly is on the run from King Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. Uh, if you think that's a bit extreme, just look back into the last chapter of what King Saul did to the priests. And you'll, and you'll see that uh, anyone who's capable of killing off a large number of people and their families is not going to worry so much about killing, just killing David. And uh, when we're looking at this story today really want to think about um, the way in which David learned to trust God the way in which David learned to trust God I want to suggest to you today that there are five ways in which David learned to trust God uh, and I'll just put them up on the screen for you with any look there we go they are divine access divine encouragement divine providence divine timing and divine presence, so divine access, divine encouragement, divine providence, divine timing, and divine presence. And overall, I hope that what we see is that God wants us to learn to trust him in our times of trouble. God wants us to learn to trust him in our times of trouble. Before we get into the five points, let me just, uh, let me just talk to you about that phrase, God wants us to learn to trust him in our times of trouble. Not sure what your life experience is, where you are, what season of life you're in right now. Um, some of you may never have experienced times of 
great trouble or desperation. Uh, I suspect most of us have, perhaps not all of us. And wouldn't it be great if we learned how to, if our characters developed uh, in like times like watching TV or playing computer games or reading nice novels, those kind of things. Wouldn't that be great? And God has no problem with those things. Those are all good things. But he knows that our hearts don't work that way. Our hearts just uh, don't work that way. Um, occasionally they will, but I think it's, it's fairly rare. Most people do not learn to trust in easy times, in good times. We learn in struggle and adversity. We learn when we fight injustice. We learn in sickness. We learn in brokenness, in trials of all kind. It's only when we need rescuing that we learn to trust a saviour. It's only when we are lonely that we learn to trust someone who never leaves us. It's only when we are feeling that our life is spiralling out of control that we learn to trust the one who is always in control. It would be nice if there was a better way, but we just don't seem to work in that manner. And so there are times when God puts us into those kinds of situations to learn those things, to develop our character as he did for David. And so our characters grow as David's character grew. Well, let's get into the meat of the story. Let's just, let me just recap very briefly to sort of what Steve was reading there. Uh, pull out a couple of points. You may, remember, you may remember from last week, David has finally fled from King Saul. Uh, he was saved by going to Israel's enemy, the Philistines. He couldn't stay with them, so he's fled into the wilderness. He stopped to pick up a weapon and some supplies from the priests. Saul's had the priests killed, but one priest escapes, and he brings the news to King David. And so, as Steve was reading there, uh, David and Saul's intelligence networks are kicking in again. Ian was talking about that a bit last week. Uh, they're all hearing what the Philistines are doing. David's hearing what Saul's doing. Saul's hearing what David's doing. And David hears that the Philistines have made a border raid over the border uh, to attack this town, uh, Kalia. Uh, it's near to where David's hiding, so there's a little bit of to and fro between him and his men. And they go, and as God's promised, they beat the Philistines and they take the plunder from the raid. But Saul hears, I guess that makes sense. It's a big deal when your enemy gets defeated. So Saul hears and he thinks, aha, I've got him. I've got him cornered. He's in a town and he's got walls and gates. It's going to be hard for, to get all these men out quickly. Uh, so Saul gets his army together and he goes down ready to attack. Uh, Again, the intelligence kicks in. David hears that Saul's on his way and he seeks God's guidance. God tells him that not only is Saul going to attack, but the townsfolk who've just saved him are going to hand him over to, to Saul. At first, that struck me as a bit of quite a lot of ingratitude, to be honest with you, but, but remember, Saul is still the king. Uh, probably has the right to demand that David and his men are handed over. They are rebels at this point against Saul. Uh, but David finds out he's armed with that intelligence, and so he leaves Kalir, and he starts moving from place to place out in the wilderness, out in the hills. Uh, the desert says he goes to uh, Ziph, that seems to be close to Hebron. You'll hear people talk about Hebron 
in the uh, in present day news you'll hear Hebron in Israel but Saul's keeping looking for David he's not giving up uh, and he's going around but he can't seem to find him but Jonathan can his son can so we see that Jonathan uh, you you may remember from a couple of weeks ago David and Jonathan uh, best buddies very close together Jonathan finds David in the desert um, David's on the run. He, he, he's, he's wondering what's going to happen next. He's got to be pretty, pretty anxious, pretty scared. And so Jonathan comes to him and he encourages him. He says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Saul is not going to lay a hand on you. You are going to be the king over Israel. And he lifts him up. That's, the, that's actually the last time we see Jonathan in, in, this, in the Bible, actually. Um, uh, but not everyone's happy about it. There's a bit of not in my backyard. Do you remember that, that phrase, NIMBY's not in my backyard? And the people in Ziph, the area where he is, um, want to get rid of David, as far as we tell. So they go to Saul and they say, wait, David's hiding over here where we live. And um, not only that, but they say, when you come, we'll hand him over to you. What a bunch of snitches. Um, so, so they head off back to Ziph to find David. Saul follows with his army. Uh, but again, David finds out what's going on. He goes into the desert of Mahon. Again, Saul follows. You're getting the pattern here. And finally, Saul is getting close. Finally, they are uh, getting close to each other. And in the final cliffhanger of the chapter, you know, picture, picture a mountain. Saul's coming around one side. David's running around the other side. It's only going to be a matter of moments before Saul comes around, finds David, and a messenger comes to Saul. The Philistines are raiding in the land. The same Philistines were raiding at the start, raiding at the end. And this time it's Saul who breaks off to go and fight the Philistines. And David escaped. It's a cliffhanger. It'll make a great movie, I think. All this action. In fact, I did check that out. They did make a movie of it in 1985. Starts Richard Gere. Uh, don't bother looking at it. As far as I can tell, it was absolutely shocking. But you can check that out for yourself. But the reviews absolutely pan it. But I hope you get the idea that this is an exciting story as it goes around. So, okay. So, if we're talking about trust, what's the, what's the link then between trust and what's going on here? What is What's happening? What, what's the, what is the link? Well, I think it's fair to say that when we look at David's life, and certainly when we, we read the songs that he wrote, the psalm, it is clear that David came to trust God. He, he turned to God for help and comfort and guidance, for provision, for justice, amongst many other things. Well, how did that come about? No, nobody learns that kind of trust just naturally straight away as we were saying uh, I think that in part he learnt it at this time and so we're going to take this passage and use it to, to show us perhaps just how David did develop this trust of God in his own character so as I mentioned there was five uh, ways in which uh, I want to suggest to you David did develop this trust um, starting off with divine access, looking there, if you look in verse 2, if you look in verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, David is seeking answers from God. He's seeking answers from God. He's got 600 men with him. They're on the run. One wrong move and Saul is going to kill them. So David seeks guidance from God. That makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, I think up to this point in the story, a bit of a generalisation, but I think it's true, up to this point, David has either been following somebody else's instruction, like Samuel's or, or one of the other prophets, or he's been reacting to circumstances, just been reacting to what's happening. Now, for the first time, he stops and actually seeks guidance from God. Uh, maybe he's gaining, gaining wisdom. Maybe he's conscious of the responsibility of leading 600 men. Maybe he's a little less hot-headed now. Uh, whatever it is, whatever it is, David is seeking guidance now from God. And in this part of the story, it seems he does it in maybe two ways. Uh, he does it through one of the prophets. Uh, it doesn't actually mention the, the name of the prophet there, but he seems to be doing it through one of the prophets and using something called an ephod. An ephod, if you've never come across that, a bit of a strange word. It's a piece of linen clothing that's got jewels sewn into it, and it's something that the high priests of Israel used to wear. A bit like a tabard or something over them, jewels sewn in. Uh, we don't know really how exactly that was used to get guidance and, and, and to interact with God. Different theories about that. doesn't really matter too much in one way. Uh, what is important is that it's a way David could get um, direct guidance from God. Uh, I'm sure he was doing a healthy dose of praying as well at the same time, uh, although it doesn't specifically say that in the passage. Um, so he's seeking God's aid. He's seeking, he's seeking information. He's, he's, he's trying to figure out know, what's going on, God. What should I do? And notice, really importantly, he listens to the answer. You know, some people will say, God, what should I do? They hear the answer and they go and do the opposite thing. You may remember when we were talking about Jonah. And he gets a message from God and God says, go over there. And Jonah goes over there, the other direction. So important to, to listen to what God says as well. Uh, and David learns through this experience, through this access he has to hear from God, that God's answers are trustworthy. That God gives good guidance and good help. We sang, it, we sang uh, at the end of one of the verses in, in one of the songs there, uh, your love endures and your ways are good. God's love endures. And his ways are good. Now, uh, we don't have a linen shirt. I'm not wearing a, a linen shirt here. Uh, I'm wearing a scruffy T-shirt. Um, and so can we get answers from God? Yes. We do not need uh, a linen ephod. We do not need prophets. I'll give you two reasons why. Firstly, because the Bible has given us Huge amounts of wisdom, huge amounts of guidance from God. We have access to what God thinks directly in the Bible. Uh, we're sometimes worried about things which don't really have a lot of significance. On the other hand, there are things that are really important that God has put in the Bible that we need to pay attention to. So sometimes God tells us in the Bible something which is a direct command. Do not commit adultery. This is a command to be obeyed. Sometimes there is more general wisdom. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That can guide our thoughts and actions, but, but it gives us more uh, room for um, 
maneuver, if I can call it that. Sometimes it mentions nothing in the Bible at all, not even a hint of guidance. It is silent on what colour socks I should be wearing. Say, if I want to go with the lime green, I can go with the lime green. God isn't worried about what socks I wear. He's worried about far more important things. So I can, if you see me wearing lime green socks, you know I'm exercising the liberty, the freedom God has given me. Praise God. It's all good, whether it's a command, whether it's wisdom. All these things in the Bible are for our good and God's glory. We read about that in David's life. We can see it, the life of other people in the Bible. But we also have to experience that for ourselves. When we're trusting in the answers that are in the Bible, when we're trusting in what God has told us, we will experience what is good. And then we can, that just reinforces that idea, and we can really learn that God is good and we can trust him. This implies you need to spend some time in the Bible. You need to know what's in there. If this is primarily how God is guiding us, we need to know what is in it. That's why we talk about it on Sunday. That's why we teach it uh, in our Sunday services. This is why we talk about it in our life groups. This is why we read it with each other. Because it matters. It's direct communication from God. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, please see me afterwards. I would love to give you a Bible. But secondly, we don't need an, uh, any fraud because we have access to God because of Jesus. We have access to God because of Jesus. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, 34, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. God is in heaven. God is uh, pure and holy. There is nothing impure in heaven. So how can I have access to God? How can I have a conversation with God? There is nothing, there's no darkness in him. There's only light. I know that my actions, my thoughts, my motivations are, as Steve was praying there, often selfish, often driven by desires of my own heart. Let's use the Bible's word there. My motivations are often full of sin. My life is often full of sin. The same is true of David. It's true of any of us because we are human. So how can we have access to God? It, fortunately, in Romans 8.34, it tells us, it says, that Jesus died more than that was raised to life. Jesus died more than that was raised to life. Jesus died to restore the relationship that's broken between us and God, to heal the rift between us he did that by living his life a perfect life that was pleasing to god by dying in outrageous terrible agony on the cross to serve the sentence that we should be serving for our sin to pay the price we should be paying for our guilt and our sin and it doesn't stop there he's raised from the dead and then Jesus returns to God in heaven. And then, as it said there, he's at God's right hand. He intercedes for us. He intervenes for us with God. So if I believe in Jesus, if I'm trying to follow him, I have access to God through Jesus. So instead of having to use prophets and linen clothing, we can pray to God through Jesus with our fears, our requests, our worship, whatever is on our heart, and Jesus is right there, 
on our behalf. So instead of worrying about, do I need to wear something? Do I need to put out cloths on the ground and see if they're wet in the morning and all the other things that folks used to do in the Old Testament? We don't need to do that. We have the Bible and we have Jesus. Like David, we can trust God because we have direct access. But direct access and divine access is not the only reason uh, that we can um, uh, trust God. Uh, notice there, there down into uh, verse uh, 15 uh, that, and verse 16 is that God sends someone to encourage David. God sends someone to encourage David. King Saul is still after him. Uh, he says he's after him every day. God is still keeping him safe. But, I mean, being pursued by a king and his army, you've got, he's got to be feeling what? He's got to be feeling uh, worried, anxious, depressed, lonely. Pick a word. You know, he's probably concerned about his men, looking after his men. Uh, some, of you, some of you, at some point... Maybe even during my sermon, we'll think, what am I going to have for tea tonight? Okay, try and think about what 600 people are going to have for tea tonight. Okay, think about how, how stressful that might be. Think about if you're in a desert, how are you going to feel, feed 600 men and their families? He might have been worried about his mum and dad. We heard how he'd sent his mum and dad to Moab. Oh, I wonder how they're getting on in Moab. I hope they're okay. Perhaps he's worried about his wife. Perhaps he's thinking about how long am I going to have to keep running from place to place? How's it going to end? Does it end where Saul wins and kills me? It's going to be a long list. God could have given him another direct message. He could have said, like he said, I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. He could have done it that way, but he didn't. Instead, he sent a friend. Instead, he sent Jonathan. And Jonathan brings him encouragement. He says there that Jonathan helps David find strength in God. Do not fear. You will be the king. I'm here for you. We are brothers. The message is from God, but the messenger is human. As far as David's future is concerned, Jonathan's spot on. He says that, that Saul is gonna, not going to harm you, and he doesn't. He says you will be king, and he is. Jonathan's reminding David of the promises that God had given to him. In one sense, Jonathan's telling David of his own trust in God. In another way, Jonathan's saying to David, trust God. He's going to do what he has said he is going to do. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what we should already know. Sometimes we need to hear from somebody else about the trust they have in God. Uh, preaching to myself here, sometimes I find it irritating when I hear somebody telling me things that I think I know in my head. Maybe I even feel I know it better than them. I've got to get over that. That is there for my encouragement. That is there to build up my trust in God. And so David, I think it's very fair to say, learns to trust God in part because his friends spoke encouragement to him. And today, God is still sending people who believe in him to encourage us when we're faced with trials on every side. 
That's why God's, one of the reasons why God's put us together in what the Bible calls a church. Groups of his people who God has saved is put together in one place, one body of believers, so we can, in part, encourage each other. Not with random words, not with foolishness or anything like that, but with God's word, with the Bible. Have you, I'm not going to, do the, I'm not going to ask you to look around, but have you realised that the people who are sitting around you now are a direct result of God working? The people sitting around you now are a direct result of God's working. Joan is here because of the salvation of God. Jody is here because the Holy Spirit was at work in South Africa. Mo is here because the Holy Spirit was at work in Iran. Rich is here because he heard the word being preached. Helen is here because God was at work sovereignly in her life. Mary Lou was here because God loved her before the world began. The people around you are here because God is real and is at work. You can trust him. Christians encourage each other. It's what we do. We use the words of the Bible. And so we know he can be trusted. Well, as I was talking about at the start, the story of David certainly involves a lot of um, escaping from narrow uh, give me a word uh, it certainly does involve a lot of narrow escapes let's see it that way uh, and I've called this divine providence you could call it different things when we read this passage you can certainly see why Saul might have said inconceivable uh, the Philistines attack at uh, Kalia they might have killed him there. They didn't. Saul might have been able to trap David and his men there. He didn't. We know from, we know from elsewhere in the Bible that, that David was, was, um, Saul was very well aware of the friendship between David and Jonathan. He could have had his, his spies follow them when, when Jonathan went to him in the desert. Uh, surely from the, the folks in Ziph could have been a bit more efficient in handing David over to Saul. As for the Philistines raiding at exactly the moment when Saul is about to come round the shoulder of the mountain and see David. Inconceivable. This is the sovereign hand of God at work in David and Saul's life and the other people around them as well. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard people say something like, I believe everything happens for a reason? Sometimes people will say that. Well, that's true. That's perfectly true. If anyone ever says that to you, ask them, whose reason? Who, whose reason are these things happening for? The answer is they're God's reason. They are part of God's plan being worked out. He has a plan that David should be the king of Israel. He has a plan to remove Saul from power. He's also got a plan to develop the character of David. He's got a plan to teach David to trust himself. He's even got a plan, I suppose, uh, that the story should be here to encourage us. That the, the, the story should be here so we can learn how to trust God. All these close shaves with disasters show, that, show David that God is at work. That although he will allow David to suffer, in fact he's going to have to suffer to build up his character. 
but God will not abandon him. God uses the events around David not only to preserve him, but also to build David's trust in God. So that's what he does for his people today. We Christians suffer. It says in the Bible that we will, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be. At some point, Christians will die, at least physically. We know this, we see it, we observe it, we experience it ourselves, and yet we are still here right now. And sometimes people call it luck, coincidence. Folks, there are no such things as luck and coincidence. God is at work in our lives. He wants the best for us. And so he has preserved us to bring us here now. And he wants us to look at that, like David did, and to trust him because of it. Uh, a friend of mine, Philip, he, was, uh, he learned this very well, and he taught it with us. He's a co-worker of mine who was an elder in our last church. Uh, super brainy. A PhD in something, I forget what. He'd actually sit in church with a Greek Bible in the Greek lettering and actually just read it. Uh, he didn't need any kind of it. He could read it at the same speed I could read English. Um, really witty guy, funny guy. His wife was and is a, a wonderful Christian woman, two great sons. And he caught cancer at what was a fairly young age. And folks sent him prayers and encouragement. They visited and stayed with him. He was in the hospital in, in, uh, away from home for a long time. And folks would go up and visit him, as well as his family being there, other people from the church. And they'd encourage him. They'd read the Bible with him. And he would read the Bible and reflect on all that Jesus had done in his life. When he was asked what message he would like to give to the church... When asked what, you know, you've got any messages for the folks back home? He said, just two words. Trust God. That's all he said. Trust God. So, we, so he found himself struggling. What was his message? Trust God. We find ourselves struggling. And we make it through, perhaps with some scars, but we make it through and God says, see, you can trust me. And perhaps we're fighting against something. We're fighting against something in our life and we make it through, perhaps with some scars, but we make it and God says, see, you can trust me. Perhaps we experience loss. We experience loss and somehow we make it through and, and perhaps with some scars and God says, see, you can trust me. Perhaps we suffer a lifelong trial. It never leaves us. But we make the best of it that we can perhaps with a lot of scars, but we make it. And God says, see, you can trust me. Trust God. Well, we should move on. Uh, you can actually include this one perhaps under the last heading, Divine Providence, but whatever. Um, if you're writing your notes and you've gone over a bit, don't worry, you won't need as much for that. They can link together. Um, because... Uh, Excuse me, because although uh, we've talked about divine providence, an important part of that is divine timing, God's timing. Yes, David trusted in God, but he trusted in when, was going, when God was going to act, not only in how was going to, God was going to act. 
very briefly, keep your finger where it is in the Bible there, but just flick over to Psalm 27 for me. Uh, and we're just going to have a look at this. That is page 557. Keep your finger in 295. 10 to 557. Uh, Psalm 27 was written by David. Um, it's not explicit that this psalm was written after the, the events that uh, we've, we've been reading about in 1 Samuel, but it, it seems pretty clear they were after it. It's not, we're not sure they were directly related, but it seems likely. And you can read some of it there. There's some, very, uh, there's some outstanding sections here where uh, David is appealing to God, that divine access that we're talking about. Where, God, where David is expressing his uh, confidence. But let me, put you right, let me point you right to the end there, to verse 13 and 14. This is the conclusion that David has come to. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then what does he say? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I'm sure that David wanted Saul to be defeated sooner. I'm sure he wanted this, this, he just wanted to be king and get over it all. I'm pretty sure that his, David's fleeing from place to place. He'd just be thinking, look, I, I wish Saul had just fallen in a hole or something. Uh, he, he's not a masochist. He's not enjoying this, running around in the desert and worrying about things and getting pursued by armies. And yet trusting God means trusting God's timing. Trusting that he will, not only that he will act, but when he will act. And when he will act, it is for our good and for his glory. At exactly the right time. His timing isn't our timing. That messenger, when he turns up on the mountain, when Saul's coming, coming around one side of the mountain, Dave's on the other side... David would have probably liked Saul to vanish much, much earlier than that. And yet the timing is perfect, and he heads out. Well, finally, let us talk a little briefly about divine presence. Um, again, we're back in 1 Samuel. Uh, let me just read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is, where we, this is the chapter where we really started David's story. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So the prophet Samuel has come. David's been selected as king. This is what he says. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David, throughout these experiences, while he's been chased all over the landscape, David has one more reason to trust God. That is that the Spirit of God is with David. We don't entirely know what that might have looked like. We know that it was something that people would have been able to observe. It is something that David himself would have understood. That David could trust in God because the Spirit of God was there to provide comfort and guidance to help David to interpret the parts of the Bible that he already had, to learn lessons about trust, to learn to develop, to develop his own character. And folks, today Christians have that same Spirit of God. It's called the Holy Spirit 
and it's something all Christians have, we have access to God in the same way David did in terms of the Spirit of God. Well, we should wrap up. Bearing in mind that David had access to God, that he had encouragement from God, that the way David saw God acting in his life was providential, the, the timing of what God did in David's life, the fact that God's spirit was with David. Did he trust God? Had he learned not to lean on his own understanding, as we heard about at the start of the service? Had David really learned that his troubles were for his good and for God's glory? Had he really learned that, God lo- that God's love endures and his ways are good? Turn with me back to the Psalms again. Turn with me to Psalm 54. This was a psalm that David definitely did write uh, after his experience uh, that we've been reading about. Uh, Psalm 54 is on page 575. We know that because it says it's up in there in the title. It says that uh, David wrote it when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? Is it? It's only a short psalm. Let me read it to you. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles. My eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. David reaches out to God. He uses that divine access. He says, he says save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Verse 2, hear my prayer, O God. He refers to the providence of God. You have delivered me from all my troubles, verse 7. Verse 4, he expresses his trust. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I think when we read this psalm, I, I hope you really get the sense of a man who has learned to trust God, who has learned that in times of trouble, trust only belongs in God because everything else sooner or later ultimately will let you down as we continue with the troubles in our lives as we continue with the struggles in our lives remember that there is more going on than just the circumstances we are experiencing there is more going on than just that trouble we are striving against we are being taught that our trust should be in God It belongs nowhere else. My message, my friend Philip's message to you, David's message to you, God's message to you is in fact this. Trust God. Verse 